There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another... Special edition of Turf Show Radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, a.k.a. Fight on Twist, coming to you, as Merle Haggard would say, from the streets of Bakersfield. Actually, I think that was Dwight Yoakam. Um, I don't know my country. <laughs> I just know that song. But I also do know that I am here today with my good friend, my colleague, my brother from another mother, Mr. Alex Dono from WQAM 560 in Miami. Alex, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing great, man. It's great to talk to you, Josh. And uh, it's pretty cool that we're at this point now when the Miami Dolphins can be playing a game against the Los Angeles Rams and we can actually chat about it. So uh, just that, I think, is pretty neat. Yeah, and what's even more so is that we're doing it here on a lovely Friday night. As people could probably hear the uh, lovely sounds of Bakersfield in the background. Cars driving by, the dogs barking. So it's a it's a lovely evening where you are too, right? I mean, you're catching a nice drive home after a hard day's work, right? Yeah, this is probably the best time of year in South Florida. I mean, basically, you know, from November until February, the weather is perfect down here. I mean, the the summers are brutally, brutally hot. The spring is brutally, brutally hot. But late fall to the midwinter is perfect it's like 70 degrees right now here at night so cannot get much better than it is here right now yeah and it's uh roughly about the same over here a little bit chilly just because we're trapped in the valley so the cold air kind of gets trapped in at night but uh all in all man uh i'm wearing a short and some jacket or an and some jackets i'm wearing some shorts and a jacket <laughs> walking the dog and it's not too bad man so uh but uh, let's take the time we have and use it wisely and jump right into things. The Dolphins play the Rams this weekend, and there's a rumor going around that something is going to happen this weekend for the Rams, I've heard. Uh, Alex, 
<laughs> what? Have you heard this rumor? Uh, the Jared Goff rumor, the worst kept secret in sports. Well, listen, I think that uh, there may be a couple of members of the Miami Dolphins defensive line that are probably licking their chops, uh, thinking about Cameron Wake and Dominic and Sue, probably very excited about the opportunity to rudely welcome Jared Goff to the NFL. But listen, I, I understand it. The offensive production for the Rams has not been there. It's probably the right time to throw the rook in. And, and I would say from a, from a Dolphin perspective, this is probably the right time to catch Jared Goff in his first NFL start. So I, I think that is one aspect that even though there's the unknown, of you know not having any real film on the guy except preseason and college stuff and Adam Gase talked about that this week the head coach of the Dolphins saying that that's really the challenge of going up against a guy and making his first start that it's really hard to study him but uh, that is certainly a very very interesting storyline we will see unfold this weekend my friend yeah let's jump right into that front seven man uh obviously you already mentioned a couple there in Wake and Sue that can cause some terror, but the Dolphins are aided by the fact that Earl Mitchell is is now back. Um, what kind of return does the big defensive tackle, or what kind of impact does the big defensive tackle's return have on the Dolphins' scheme? Is it more bodies now, right, so they can rotate things yeah. and keep the pressure coming over four quarters? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think the biggest thing there is adding depth to that defensive front. And Earl Mitchell is, he's a solid player. I think he made a positive uh, impact returning last week. Uh, you know, he's got good chemistry with Ndamukong Sue, has good chemistry with Cameron Wake as well, and Mario Williams, who, you know, may or may not play this weekend. We'll find out more on his status probably uh, before game time. But, you know, in, in Mitchell's absence, I thought that Jordan Phillips, the second-year player out of Oklahoma, ended up playing pretty well. Um, you know, they, I don't think the coaching staff had a whole lot of faith in, in Phillips before he took over, but uh, did pretty well during Earl Mitchell's absence. So now the idea of having a fresh body like Jordan Phillips to come off the bench and get some reps, he had a nice interception a few weeks back to have an option like that to add more depth to that defensive tackle spot, I think is really, really important. And, you know, that line for the last few weeks has really been thriving. They struggled to stop the run up until the Jets game a couple of matchups ago. And since then, they've been virtually flawless for six quarters, and they've been putting pressure on quarterbacks all year. And, you know, the one thing that these two teams have in common is really if you if, if you were to look at the Dolphins and look at the Rams, and you break up what both of these teams are good at at this time, about the only edge that Miami has, I say only, but – what separates Miami from Los Angeles, to my mind, is that Miami has a running game, well, that they didn't know they were going to have and tried to get rid of, but they had a wonderful surprise in Jay Ajayi out of Boise State. And, you know, Todd Gurley, in theory, should run circles over Jay Ajayi, but it's Ajayi that's coming in with the hot hand. Yeah, and Ajayi, like you touched on it there, that he was nearly. They tried to get rid of him virtually. I remember doing a couple of couple of interviews, like around week two, week three, and I wasn't sure if Ajayi would even still be on this football team at this point. Was you know left off week one, didn't travel to Seattle, basically due to him being upset and pouting about being second string on the roster. So I didn't even know if he'd be on this team at this point, but. What a wonderful success story he's been ever since the Steelers game when he rushed for 200 yards, 
rushed for 200 yards a week later against Buffalo. Ajayi is really running downhill, and I don't know if he would be at this point confidence-wise if not for the wake-up call that Adam Gase gave him where he was probably afraid he was going to get cut at some point early on in the season. But, you know, Ajayi, uh, he's done a nice job breaking tackles. The yards per carry is at 5.7 for him, which is pretty astronomical given how many carries he's had this year. You know, he's been a workhorse, and to be that high is is pretty remarkable. But, you know, he he wouldn't be where he is now, you know, heading into this matchup if not for how well the offensive line has blocked for him. And, And that kind of brings up, Josh, one of the uncertainties for the Dolphins this weekend is, uh, you know, they know they're going to be without their starting left tackle, Brandon Albert. He's already been ruled out due to a dislocated wrist, uh, which means Laramie Tunsil, who's been playing left guard, was, you know, drafted as a natural left tackle. He's going to slide over and play his natural position. Uh, Craig Urbic, who's a serviceable guy, is going to be plugged in to play left guard. So I'm not that worried about the, uh, the guard and tackle spot, but what I am worried about is the potential loss of your starting center, Mike Pouncey. Uh, Pouncey hasn't practiced the last couple of days uh, due to a re-aggravation of the hip injury that kept him out for the first four weeks of the season. Uh, if, you, if, you, if he cannot play, he's listed as doubtful for Sunday. If he can't play, you would plug in a rookie in Anthony Steen back at the center spot. And, you know, you, you look at the, the sliding door that's been this offensive line, if you're potentially without – uh, without two of your top starters coming into this weekend, I think that could really affect the running game, slow Ajayi down a lot. Yeah, you mentioned that offensive line, um, and, and we'll get to that in a second. But staying with the front seven of the Dolphins, and, and you alluded to this a little bit earlier. Now, if you're Adam Gase, who, as you said, has, has mentioned that there's not a lot of tape to watch, uh, and, and you're looking at – well, Goff did fairly well in Pac-12 play, except for when he went up against smash-mouth defenses, your Utahs, your Stanfords, your USC's. How much of that film do you extrapolate and implement into your own game plan, knowing that Gase is the type of guy who likes to create a different game plan each week because the opponent is different each week? You know, I, I think there could be a lot of that, and, and Gase, said something earlier this week that hinted to that, uh, you know, when he was asked, yeah, I did allude to this earlier about saying, Hey, there's not much film on a guy who's never played an NFL snap, you know, outside of the preseason before, you know, Gase was asked, Hey, like what film do you study? Do you study the preseason film? He had actually said that, you know what, we're going to study the college film more than we're going to study his preseason film. Cause Gase basically said that, hey, you know, preseason, the offenses are so vanilla and and the defenses he goes up against are so vanilla that you can't really take anything from that. We actually think his film from college is more valuable, not very valuable, but more valuable than than the NFL film. So you you might have touched on something there. I think he's probably going to look at what types of defenses had success against Goff. I think no matter what happens, and and a lot of that game plan is going to come from uh, the defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, who's extremely hands-on with that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I can guarantee you they're going to try and put pressure. And and another big thing is, aside from, you know, the pressure is going to come from the front seven, the defensive backs, I think they're really going to disguise a lot of coverages because, you know, the Dolphins have had a lot of success defensively in, in recent weeks by forcing turnovers. You know, uh, intercepted Phillip Rivers four times in the fourth quarter last week. They have thrived on turnovers, and, you know, they've done a lot of this despite missing their best defensive back, Rashad Jones, is out for the season at safety. 
Uh, so they've really done a lot of this with smoke and mirrors. I think that Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, has been able to scheme his way out of a lot of personnel problems, and I expect them to try and confuse Jared Goff as much as possible and force some interceptions. Well, in that, you've got the antithesis of Jared Goff throwing the ball, which is Fisher Bowl. Um, and, well, you'd like to think that Todd Gurley would be the workhorse that Los Angeles would turn around to rely upon. But unlike Jay Ajayi, Todd Gurley doesn't – I don't even think he has 200 yards on the season. I'm just joking. I know he does, but <laughs> let alone a 200-yard game. Um What's more worrisome to you, a quarterback without film or a running back that you know is capable of putting on a show that's frustrated? If I'm just playing the percentages, I would say that the devil I know is Todd Gurley, and I know what he's capable of. I mean, is there a chance that Jared Goff lights the Dolphins up and thrives in his first start? Yeah, I think there's a chance, but I think there's probably more of a chance that You know, if Gurley ends up, you know, carrying the ball 35 times because they're, you know, trying to ease in a rookie quarterback that at some point he's going to break something. And, uh, you know, breaking something meaning not an injury, but breaking a big gain is what I'm saying there. So I think that's got to be a concern for the Dolphins. And, you know, historically, like I I mentioned, the last six quarters, uh, they've been virtually flawless against the run. But a few weeks ago, the Dolphins were ranked 31st against the run in the NFL. So they've had their vulnerabilities earlier this season. So, uh, although they did do a nice job against Melvin Gordon. They did a nice job against Matt Forte the week prior to that. Uh, but I, I could definitely see if Todd Gurley ends up having his breakout game this Sunday, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. What do you do if you're Vance Joseph? How do you how do you plan for this game? Uh, do you load the box and force Jared Goff to beat you with the arm, knowing that he has the capability to throw it up and let guys like Tavon Austin and Kenny Britt with all that speed just run up under it? Do you, like you said, bait him into interceptions and play the field percentage battle or the field position battle? What's the best way for Miami to achieve victory? You know, I think that if you're going to lean to one method or the other, I, I think you lean more towards baiting him, disguising the coverages, uh, only because, you know, you talk about – Tavon Austin and Kenny Britt, uh, the Dolphins one-on-one coverage-wise, uh, you know, when you're talking about Byron Maxwell and Tony Lippett, like these aren't these aren't shut-down corners. I actually think the best cornerback on the roster is uh, the rookie, Xavier Howard, who's still hurt. He's going to be out for another week or two. So, you know, based on how some of those one-on-one matchups will not go so well for Miami, I think that, you know, loading the box for, for the better part of that game might put them in some dangerous, precarious positions. So I think they're going to play it a little bit more conservative and play that field position game. Now, offensively, the Dolphins have their own problems, but they also have their own solutions. How does Miami gain yardage against the stout, dominant, but not shut-down dominant defense like the Rams? I think you're going to see experimentation and adaptation. I think the Dolphins are going to try in the first quarter uh, to really establish the run. You might end up seeing a couple of, three and outs early on in the game because they're trying to get Jay Ajayi going. Now, if this were 
you know, a normal week, albeit going up against a stout defense, if this were a week where the entire offensive line is healthy, I think they'd be at a much higher probability of having success in that regard. But the reason why I think you're going to see a lot of runs early in this football game is because Jay Ajayi is the type of running back who tends to get stronger as the game goes on and tends to wear down defenses. So I think they may try and get him going early. But if you find out that you're running into a brick wall because, you know, Anthony Steen and Craig Urbic, a couple of your backup offensive linemen, aren't getting any kind of a push and the running game is going nowhere, I think that's when you're going to start to see Tannehill open things up a little bit. And hopefully if you run the ball several times to start the game, that's going to take some of the pressure off, maybe even open up play action for him if things are working out properly. Because I think, you know, the, the biggest weapon – that the Dolphins could potentially have this week, Josh, is the fact that Devontae Parker, uh, one of their dangerous wide receivers, the second-year guy out of Louisville, he looks like he's healthier now than he's been in his entire NFL career. He's probably pissed off. Yeah, he probably After that Houston game, he's probably pissed. Yeah, and and also he's got a chip on his shoulder to Devontae Parker because, uh, you know, his coaches, his offensive coordinator, Clyde Christensen, his head coach, Adam Gase, they have openly, through the media, challenged him to become more professional. I mean, it's got to be embarrassing when your head coach is in a media press conference telling everybody, oh, by the way, Devontae Parker doesn't do a job keeping himself hydrated, You know, doesn't uh, keep himself uh, properly nourished when he's not in the facility. He skips breakfast too much. He doesn't go hard enough in practice because he's too worried about his soft tissue injuries. Like, like this guy has been challenged so many times in the media. I think maybe it's forcing him to try and step up and prove his coach is wrong. He's coming off a 100-yard performance last week, and all accounts are he's been practicing harder the last two weeks than he's practiced uh, in his two years in the NFL. So if he can try and recreate some of that success from a week ago, and the Dolphins can really roll with a trio of, you know, Jarvis Landry, who's always formidable, Kenny Stills, who played very well last week, and, and Devontae Parker, if he can keep that ball rolling, uh, you know, the, the, those receivers are, are tough to match up with for anybody defensively. Yeah, no doubt. And if you look at maybe the weakest part of the Dolphin defense and try and attack, or excuse me, the Ram defense, and try and attack that, what in your mind would the weakest part be, and how would you attack it? I would say, well, first of all, Aaron Donald being uh, in that defensive front is not somebody I, I would ever want to attack. You know, I watched him play enough in Pittsburgh when he went up against the Miami Hurricanes to know what a stud he is. I, I would say to try and attack the secondary, just with the mismatches from the wide receivers. I think that's what's going to end up working for the Dolphins. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, I want to ask you a couple things about Tannehill because you look at a guy who, you know, fifth year, numbers look pretty similar to the previous five. What do you expect out of a guy like Tannehill in a season such as this? The whole team seems to be growing and maturing except for Tannehill. I mean, how does that play out? for the Dolphins moving forward? That's been the story of his entire career. I mean, it's been really impossible to read if Tannehill is a franchise quarterback or if he's just a guy. And it's been extremely frustrating for Dolphin fans because there have been plenty of excuses to make for the guy, right? I mean, he's had some really porous offensive lines during his five years here 
He's had some incompetent head coaches during his career. I mean, Joe Philbin comes to mind, a couple of his offensive coordinators as well. So you've never really put him in position to succeed, but he's also never shown you he can be the type of quarterback, you know, to put a team on his back and carry them to the playoffs. You know, and every now and then you get like a, like a smoke signal of positivity. Like last week against San Diego, I thought that arguably was the best game Tannehill has played in his entire career, just based on the difficulty of some of the passes he completed, you know, through a, a strike to the end zone to Kenny Stills as he was getting drilled in the first half, you know, it was taking a big hit in the second half and completed a perfect deep bomb to the sideline to Devontae Parker. Uh, Tannehill played virtually a flawless game a week ago. You know, some would say that, hey, based on the blocking he's getting, he's not turned the football over for the past four weeks. You know, if you ask me right now, right, and this has changed week by week during Tannehill's career, Right now, Tannehill looks like he's a franchise quarterback, and he looks like he's really thriving. But I, I think the answer might be with Tannehill that he is a he's a stellar game manager, right? I don't think he's ever going to be an Aaron Rodgers type. He probably won't ever even be a, a Philip Rivers type because that's a guy who can put a team on his back when need be during his career. I, I think Tannehill is more an Alex Smith type. I think so as the rest of the team goes, Ryan Tannehill goes because – you know, for for much of this Dolphins four game winning streak, uh, they were really the running game was really carrying the team, and Tannehill was just doing his job to manage the offense and not throw in any interceptions, and that was working for him. You know, he did was called upon for a big game through the air against San Diego, and he did pass that test last week. But I've not seen it on a consistent enough basis to say that Ryan Tannehill is a transcendent type of quarterback. I think he's a very competent quarterback. But as long as you've got a good running game and a good defense, that's when he's going to thrive. All right. Second last question here before I let you go. One of the things that I've been most impressed with about the Dolphins has been, well, how much different they look from week one until now. And, you know, we talked to Matt Kanata uh, of Finsiders, and he said that he believes – it's because the players have now fully bought into Gase's system. It took a while. Gase had to do some cutting. Gase had to do some publicly calling out, like you mentioned earlier. But he's now got the attention of the team and says, hey, if you trust me, I can lead you to victory. But if you don't, you're going to find your ass, frankly, out of a job. Um, do you think that the team is now fully bought into Gase's plan? And if so, what's it like to have a head coach that can come in and get the team to buy in into his philosophy and start winning within one season? Tell me. Tell me. Well, yeah, let me answer the second part of that question first. It feels great because, you know, in, in South Florida football, uh, we, we've not had a whole lot of coaches like that. I mean, you think about me as being, a Miami Hurricanes guy and a Miami Dolphins guy, how many questionable head coaches I've seen come through here. I mean, not only like academically does Adam Gase seem like he has answers for everything. He's very intelligent. He's a student of the game. He understands schematics, I think, better than, you know, the previous several head coaches here, maybe dating back to Don Shula might have been the last time we had that kind of a football mastermind here. But as far as players buying in, I, I, I agree with that because – Adam Gase really walks kind of a delicate line of 
being a player's coach, right? Because he's, you know, he's only 38 years old, so he's pretty close in age to a lot of his players, and he's able to get along with these guys and kind of be one of the boys. But, you know, he also does instill the respect of everybody knows because you've seen it happen before uh, with, you know, Dallas Thomas and Billy Turner, a couple of offensive linemen who have gotten cut. You've seen Byron Maxwell benched. You've seen Jay Ajayi benched before. You know, you've seen guys either sat down, suspended, or kicked off the team. So they also know that they can't mess with this guy. And I think it took a couple of moves like that for him to command the type of respect that he's getting. And listen, it's not all on Gase because he's also, you know, he's benefiting from some other things personnel-wise. I think he's found a way to help this roster exceed their talent level because I don't think that this team is as talented as the way they've been playing for the last, you know, month since they've been on this four-game winning streak. But I think also what's really helped this turnaround is, and, and we've talked about it a lot here today, but I think it's worth really drilling this point home that when the offensive line has been completely healthy, it's rarely happened, but if you can get a healthy Brandon Albert, Mike Pouncey, Juwan James, Laramie Tunsil, Jermon Bushrod, when you can get those five starters healthy, I think they're the second best offensive line in the league behind maybe only the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, you didn't have those guys healthy for the first four weeks of the season. The Dolphins went off to that one and four start. Once Pouncey was back healthy from his hip injury, uh, that's when you really started that thing to turn in the right direction. Uh, so I think that he's kind of ridden the coattails of that a little bit. So, and that's another reason why I look at this matchup with the Rams as being so important that you're going to be missing at least one of those starters, if not two. If they can sustain that kind of success without that offensive line being together and healthy, then I, I really think you have to give Gase an extra pat on the back. So I, I want to see how that works out this week. All right, before I let you get out of here, you know I'm going to put a gun to your head and tell you I need a prediction. So give me a prediction. What happens between the Dolphins and the Rams this Sunday? You know, I, I think it's going to be a close game, uh, especially with the uncertainty of the health of the O-line. I think the magic number here in a defensive struggle is going to be the first team that gets to 20, I think, is going to win this football game. I think 20 points will be the magic number. I'm going to say the Dolphins are the team that's going to get there. I'm looking at probably a 20-17 to 17 win for the Dolphins. And listen, if it comes down to maybe a, you know, a field goal try to tie the game at the end, if it comes down to one possession, I think the fans are going to get their money's worth and their time's worth in watching this thing. I do think it's going to be close. I see the Dolphins edging out a close, close win. All right, Alex. Well, before I let you get out of here, I want you to tell the people where they can find you on social media and or the Internet. I appreciate that. I'll tell you where you can find me on, on both. Uh, find me on Twitter at Alex Dono, Dono spelled D-O-N-N-O. You can also add me on Facebook with that same name. And uh, check out my show page at WQAM.com or CBSMiami.com. I think either way takes you to the same place. And hopefully you guys can uh, can check out some of my shows on the Internet at 6 until 10 p.m. Eastern time down here in South Florida. And thank you. Indeed. Well, and with that, that's going to conclude another episode of Church Show Radio. I am your host, Josh Webb. He is Alex Dono. We will catch you at a regular scheduled time on Wednesdays. And with that, I am out.
everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Vergecast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.